Google has a better sense of what we prefer than we do. And Google certainly has a better sense of what we prefer than our partners do. I, I can vouch for that in, in my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these algorithms are going to start making more and more of these decisions. Why did my watch just tell me to stand? You know, we, we've basically given up our, our agency completely. One of the big uh, precursors to solving these problems in many ways is a restoration of trust. Jack, I believe that universal basic income is central to a restoration of trust. Yeah. Hello, welcome to another episode of Yang Speaks, where I sit down for a fascinating conversation with the co-founder and CEO of both Twitter and Square, Jack Dorsey. Jack's one of the most profound thinkers on what the heck is coming next in the world. Uh, and so we talked about the future of work, mindfulness, universal basic income, of course, one of my favorite subjects in the world. How is data owned and shared? What he's concerned about for the future? What he would suggest to the president? The future of small business? And after all of that, there's a really big announcement at the end. So stay tuned for my sit-down conversation, virtually, of course, with Jack Dorsey. It is my pleasure and privilege to welcome to Yang Speaks, the one, the only CEO of both Twitter and Square and co-founder of both, Mr. Jack Dorsey. Jack, welcome. Thank you. So, Jack, I don't know if you remember this. I've been waiting to see you to ask you this, but you and I met briefly six years ago in Detroit. You spoke at this Techonomy conference. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I met yeah. you backstage very briefly. Yeah. So, I, I just wanted to take a trip down memory lane and say, you, you might not remember this, but I was like, Jack Dorsey, <laughs> like back in 2014. I, I remember now. You seem like such an elevated human. Uh, you also look the part kind of too. You have like this sense of Jack from the future. Um, you, you have that. <laughs> Thank you. And, and I, I think part of it is that um, you meditate, uh, you're mindful, like you take this stuff uh, very seriously about like awareness of your own um, health surroundings. And, and I think it gives you like a connectivity to um, like the, the world at large in a way that many people don't necessarily experience. Uh, but when I uh, want to clear my head, one of the things I do is try and get away from Twitter <laughs> for, for a particular period of time. And yeah. I know you have techniques that you use to try and uh, be more mindful. Uh, one thing I'm curious about is whether any of the tools or techniques you use utilize technology. And do you think that there's a way that technology can actually make us more mindful and aware as opposed to uh, possibly the opposite? I, I do. I mean, I, I think um, mindfulness and meditation for me is a practice of um, honing your skills of observation and making sure that we um, are present and aware of all everything that we're doing and that we're not blindly reacting to it and just falling into a hole, but we're fully aware of the what and also the why behind it and able to make choices differently. So. I've structured a lot of my work around um, this concept of like, how do I get, how do I focus more on one thing 
and most of my um, day is actually spent on on this iPhone here. And the reason I use this instead of a computer is there's only one app open at a time. So I I, I definitely take my walks. I definitely um, meditate without a device and whatnot. But I, I think it's more about how we train our minds to um, to uh, to really observe it. The, um, Yuval's book, 21 Lessons for 20, 21st Century, um, I think is phenomenal. His last chapter, his last lesson, the 21st lesson, is around meditation. He believes, and I think we all feel this right now, that um, Google has a better sense of what we prefer than we do. And Google certainly has a better sense of what we prefer than our partners do. I, I can vouch for that in, in my marriage. And <laughs> <laughs> think of your kids. I mean, Google will have a better sense of even who they are than they might. And his recommendation is a practice of meditation actually helps us understand why we're doing the things that we're doing, why we react in the ways that we do. And it's important for us to have that base level understanding and self-awareness um, because otherwise we're just offshooting every single decision to these algorithms. And then who are we? I mean, it's, it's the, it's the Wall-E future that one of my favorite Pixar movies that, you know, that, that is the future we're, we're headed to. And um, I, I think meditation is one of those tools that, that can at least make us aware of the choices that we're making. Agency towards technology. Uh, that, that's certainly yeah. like a massive, uh, issue because yeah. I, I do have kids and to the extent that we had screen time limits, they've gone out the window with the uh, COVID crisis. <laughs> I have no idea how yeah. much, how much time they're spending. Um, so you just talked about how Google might know me better than my partner. You've talked about how you're concerned about also the future of data ownership. Um, and I, and, and it's like, I feel like with square, you're privy to a certain form of data though. It's much more business oriented than, um, you know, per people's like, browsing habits and the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, it just just a high-level principle. We, we People need to own their own data. And I think the technology to allow that to happen across service lines, across company lines, did not exist until recently with the blockchain. I think the blockchain presents a new opportunity for us to create identity wallets for people. Um, and then you get to choose what what services get to read from it and also get to write from it, and you can turn that off at any time. I, I think it's it's one of those ideas that that needs to happen as quickly as possible, and it leads to so many other beneficial things in our space. That's tremendous. That that is a beautiful vision where we actually own our data, and then there are various companies that. Uh, can make use of it with our permission and we permission get value. Yeah. yeah. And we can turn it off at will. Um, like that would be a, a whole different level of agency for us because right now, again, like, you know, you don't know really what the heck is going on um, yeah. in terms of uh, your data getting sold and resold, packaged and repackaged. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, what's interesting is like, I, I get a sense a lot of the tech companies themselves they may not know. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. It's true. I mean, this is, this is hard. This is hard stuff. I think the most important companies to actually make this happen are the folks that are actually deploying hardware. Because I, I think it has to happen when you buy a device, when you buy a laptop, when you buy a phone, 
when you buy a tablet. If I start on Android and I move to Apple, ideally all these things cross connect. It's just one wallet. Um, but I, I do think it's it's up to the larger companies to actually make work together and make this a standard. Um, and then I hope they do. And that's where yeah. I think smart regulation could come in um, in order to push them to do so. That is one of the frustrations I, I have too, where government has been absent from most all of these issues for years and decades, uh, where our legislators have a very dim <clears throat> understanding of most technology. Um, yeah. We all saw when uh, when Mark Zuckerberg testified to Congress, they're asking him all these inane questions about Facebook and its yeah. operation. And you were like, like, what are you talking? Like, like, it wasn't like a, a surprise visit. You know what I mean? They like theoretically knew he was coming and could prepare. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's imagine for a moment that um, I were president of the United States and uh, you and I were talking and you were like, well, thank goodness that happened, Andrew. Um, here are like the three things I really wish that the government could intelligently uh, get involved with that would be uh, a massive help to us. And let's agree that universal basic income is one of them and that's happened. And, you know, that's related to technology, but not um, necessarily intrinsically a tech issue. Like what are the top few things that you wish an intelligent government government could help with? I'd imagine AI is probably somewhere on that list. AI is definitely on that list. And I, I think like when I, when I talk to global leaders and regulators around the world, they're, they're focused on the outcomes instead of the primitives being used to build these technologies. We have to focus our regulation around the primitives being used and how things are built rather than just um, putting band-aids over the outcomes. You know, these algorithms are going to start making more and more of these decisions and they're not being built in such a way that it's required that they explain why. That would be one, you know, one simple piece of regulation is a, it's a field of research in AI called explainability. Really hard to do. But even small steps we take there would be meaningful. Why did my watch just tell me to stand? You know, just, just simple. <laughs> you know, it's, it's those basic things because we're offloading more and more of our decisions to these algorithms. And like you've all said in his book, if we don't understand why we're doing it and why they're making these decisions, we've just, you know, we, we've basically given up our, our agency completely. Why did I turn left just then? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Also, when we think of AI, we, we think of the algorithms, but more important is the data. And it, it's very hard for a startup right now to build a compelling AI algorithm without access to massive amounts of data, which are owned by very, very few companies right now. Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple. Apparently, the public sector has vast troves of data that uh, are not being made available to commercial actors like Twitter or even yeah. academics. Uh, this is one thing that I know we could uh, help with very quickly, where yeah. the, the public sector governments are sitting on like traffic patterns to weather to like, uh, you know, to yeah. like uh, soil quality. Like there, there are things that we could do that companies could do if they had more access. Yeah, and, and owned. And I, I, I think that brings to another point is like, if, if you were president, I would ask you like, how, how, do, we, how do we establish a, a stronger partnership between technology companies and government and NGOs and the media? Because all four of these have a significant part to play in how society functions. And 
there's faults in every single one of them right now. And um, all, all of our institutions, companies, media, government have lost a lot of our trust. And that can be very yes. isolating. Yes. And it's very hard yeah. to solve problems with. Yeah. And it can be trust. destructive. Yeah. So I, I guess those are the three things I would ask. The, the rebuilding of trust is something I'm very passionate about, Jack, yeah. uh, because, you know, you can just look at the polling and see that our trust in, like you said, media, government, financial institutions, uh, schools, uh, hospitals, probably pre-crisis, I think our trust has probably gone up. The most yeah. trusted institution in American life right now, I believe, is still the U.S. military. Uh, yeah. Like the, yeah. like the, the where presidency, it's collapsed and, and that, that's pre-Trump. And so to me, one of the big uh, precursors to solving these problems in many ways is a restoration of trust. Yeah. Um, and so if you have these institutions that have been failing us in many, many regards uh, for a long time, it's hard to then say, okay, that institution has been failing me for a long time, but now I trust it again. Yeah, exactly. I, and I, I think we, ha we have to decompose trust. Like how do you earn trust in the first place? I think transparency is one way to earn it. I think um, uh, accountability is another way to earn it. I think reliability and being dependent is another way to earn it. But there's there's a there's a matrix of ways to earn trust, and they they need to be ranked, and they need to um, they they need to be applied to all these institutions. But more importantly, the connections between the institutions. I think that is what's failing us the most right now. Everyone is just so isolated. Your idea of a partnership between government, media, tech companies, and NGOs is profound. We should 100% do that. Well, that, uh, that's something I, I heard a lot from uh, um, Jacinda, the Prime Minister of um, New Zealand. Um, and, and this was right after the Christchurch call. Um, um, so, like, she, you know, she, she also was trying to push, like, this is not just the government or tech, technology companies. This is the media, too. Yes. Like we, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of the videos being shared on, on Twitter after that were not, you know, we were, were not individuals on Twitter. They were actually reporters on Twitter, even though Jacinda and, and, and Prime Minister Jacinda and the country asked those not to be shared. So we have to collaborate more. Um, otherwise, you know, everything that we're, we're going to be facing will just not work. You know, Jack, I, I b believe that universal basic income is central to a restoration of trust, uh, yeah. where if a society actually invests in you in a real way and says, hey, look, here's money, um, then you actually become more trusting and optimistic yeah. where you're like, okay, like you actually do value me, care about me. You'll invest in me in my future. You'll invest in my kids in my future because people can tell when you're bullshitting them. Honestly, it's like, if you yeah. say to them, Hey, you're great. Like you're a citizen. It's important. Um, they're like, you know, like young people at this point are like, yeah, but if you're like, Hey, you're important, we love you. And here's money. And we're not even going to tell you what to do with it. Like we trust yeah. you. We yeah. believe in exactly. you. We love you. Exactly. Um, that's actually a game changer. I can't tell you, Jack, like I, I randomly like Venmoed someone money. Um, and I know you've done the same thing, like, like on oh, Twitter, yeah. but I use and cash app. Yes. <laughs> use cash app. It's the future. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I did Venmo, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. So, uh, so, so we, I we love our competitors too. It's all good. As yeah, long as people I, I are getting money, great. that's great. Yeah. As long as people they got are getting money. money. 
Um, but just like the, the act of someone receiving money, it's like, it, like they can't believe it. Um, and just like when our government, you know, even sent those $1,200 checks, like no one believed it until it was in their account. Oh, yeah. um, like, like really there's so much uh, built up distrust and skepticism yeah. that when you actually get that money, like it diffuses it. It's about to me actually restoring trust in people, humanity, our society, our way of life, the fact that we actually care about each other. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I live by the principle of everything is connected. So if someone is in pain, I'm in pain ultimately over time. And I want to make sure that I'm doing whatever I can in my lifetime to, to help that through my company's works, through my own personal um, giving. And I'm, in, I'm in a situation that I never imagined when I was a kid or when I was 25 or um, I, I didn't have any aspect of like what money would mean until I was probably 35. And I, I just, I, I'm so grateful, but part of gratitude is not just saying I'm grateful. It's doing it. Gratitude through action, man. May that yeah. be like the, the theme uh, of, of this era. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online... I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash yang to learn more. I, it seems to me like you were actually ahead of me in universal basic income. It's not like you needed Andrew Yang. <laughs> to come well, we needed up. Andrew Yang. Um, so would love to hear from you as to like how you originally were exposed to it over the past number of years and how you became such a staunch uh, believer and champion of it. Uh, over, the, over the past few years, just seeing everything happening <clears throat> with AI and specifically in Square, um, we, you know, we serve sellers and their employees are cashiers. And we can see the writing on the wall in terms of the, the need for people behind those, those cashiers. We saw this 
when we had an app called uh, Caviar, which is a food delivery, which is basically moving the point of sale to the customer's hand. Um, the restaurants don't need someone managing the cashier anymore if they shift to more more delivery. Um, and we we see that throughout um, the business, and that um, you know we, we we talk a lot about the we talk a lot about the self driving trucks uh, and and whatnot and. It, this is even coming for programming. Like a lot of the goals of machine learning and deep learning is to write the software itself over time. So a lot of entry level programming jobs will just not be as relevant anymore. So every single field is going to be touched by automation. And UBI to me represented a floor, a floor that pe people could stand on um, and really have the the, the knowledge and peace of mind ultimately that they could survive and eat and feed their children while they are learning how to transition into this new world. It doesn't mean that they don't work. It means that they have a floor with which to, to build and to um, get to a skill stack that would be um, more relevant in this, in this future. So, I, I think that's one aspect of it. And, and I think the, the only way we answer these questions ultimately is through experimentation. Yeah. So, so Jack, that's where we connected while I was running for president that I was like you very, very concerned about the impact of automation and technology and you were closer to it than obviously just about anybody. And one of the things I've been saying is that this pandemic, this crisis is accelerating the rate of change that we had expected, where I've been saying we're seeing 10 years of progress or change in 10 weeks. Uh, and is that similar to what you've seen and what you've, what you've seen companies investing in? Oh, yeah. I mean, like just on the square side, just the shift towards online has been, uh, has been break fast. And like it's, uh, it's just been incredible to, to see how people are, are, are shifting. And, you know, that when you're, when you're online, you don't need a cashier. Um, so, I mean, it does affect real lives and uh, it's certainly efficient for the business owner, but it's not great for their employees. And that's why we need to look inwards and, and really make sure that we're taking care of, um, of everyone and, and especially our most vulnerable um, throughout this process as, as a shift happens. And I am optimistic that a shift can happen, uh, but, but people need that peace of mind in order to just face it in the first place. <clears throat> well, yeah, it, it's hard for the shift to happen if people can't put food on the table and like are worried yeah. about um, paying next month's rent. Uh, I feel like Square must give you one of the best dashboards into what's happening uh, to small businesses right now that most anyone has. I just saw this study that said uh, they think that 30% of small businesses might shut their doors forever. What are you seeing at Square in terms of what's happening to local entrepreneurs? Our sellers have been super creative uh, in terms of like hacking the system and, and trying to figure out new ways of doing things. So all of our restaurants sh shifted to curbside pickup and delivery. Um, we had a bunch of salons who shifted towards uh, doing uh, FaceTime-based or Zoom-based uh, style cons consultations. Um, so a lot of creativity is emerging, but you're right. There, there are a lot of people that could use that right now, the, the FaceTime style <laughs> <Yeah>. consultation. <laughs> me included, me included. I got hair grown everywhere. 
Um, I wasn't suggesting that, Jack. I was just <laughs> generalizing about us all. <laughs> it's it's so true. Um, but yeah, so we are seeing a lot of creativity and I'm really optimistic about that. But I mean, the reality is that we're seeing a lot of people have to lay off all of their employees. Um, we're seeing uh, a lot of folks who are sole proprietors who have to shut down completely. Um, and, and for a lot of people, this is their dream. I mean, this has been their dream for yes. years and years and years, and they worked so hard to build this up. Um, and it's just been, it's been devastating. So we're, we're doing everything that we can to support it, but there are limits to that. And um, one of the things I'm proud of is we were a vehicle for the, for the PPP second round, and we were able to get out over $500 million to our sellers um, next day. Um, uh, weeks ahead That's of the, the banks, um, and uh, and it it's it's just been amazing to see that lifeline extended. But I I don't ultimately think that's enough. We have to we have to figure out how these sellers will change their models, and you know a lot of these things. Um, some of these things will not reemerge, but some some will in just a different format, and and that's what I'm excited to to help folks do. That makes me so happy that Square was actually a conduit for some of that PPP money because I was thinking yeah. about those food truck operators and nail salons and just thinking, how the heck are they going to access that money? Yeah. You know, it's like a lot of them don't have like a private banker they can call. <laughs> so so yeah. the fact that some of them called you and actually got uh, that money actually makes me really glad. Yeah, we had um, uh, over 500 million to about 60,000 sellers across the country in every, every state. Um, and it was from sole proprietors. I, I think about 40% of them were employers and 60% were sole proprietors. Wow. Yeah. The, I mean, th those are really, like you said, they're living their dream. You know, they had this yeah. idea for a small business and they go out on a limb. And, and that's one of the tragedies of this economic collapse is, you know, it's affecting the local entrepreneurs the most. It's, it's also just such a massive part of our economy and every single economy around the world. Like it's over 51%. The small business economy is over 51% of almost every national economy around the world. Yeah, it's the job driver too in, yeah. in our economy and every other economy. <laughs> uh, you know, and you're seeing just the seriousness of this crisis led you to do something that is singular in our entire country which is you've pledged $1 billion in philanthropy to a combination of COVID relief, uh, helping girls and women in universal basic income. And Jack, I got to say, like, you see that headline. I remember you texted me when you were announcing it. I was like, I got chills. I told you, I was like, <laughs> that is the greatest thing I've ever seen because a billion dollars um, at the time it was reported to be something like 28% of your net worth, yeah. uh, you know, and, and so people look up and, and, you know, if you're worth several billion dollars, which you are, it's an unfathomable amount of money to the vast majority uh, of people. But then everyone can understand 28% of one's net worth. Like what drove you to such a massive commitment that really is uh, singular right now in our society? Well, I, I, th I think there are a lot of, there are a lot of people doing things privately, but I thought it was important that we added more transparency to this um, because a lot of these things tend to be fairly dark and invisible and you don't really see the, the impact. And um, we, we launched this with a Google sheet 
um, which was just kind of a fast, hacky way to do things. But the intention was... It was very Jack Dorsey, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the, the intention was not, not only to show where we're giving. Each, each row has the amount and the org and their mission and, and what these funds will go towards and also a link uh, to the website for, for people to, um, to click into and learn more or, or contribute themselves. So not only to track what we're doing, but also to learn. Like we are going to make mistakes in this and I want to make sure that we can annotate the sheet and, and just show people where and why we, we made those t- mistakes. So I thought the transparency was really important. And the other, I, I think, creative thing that we did is I'm, I'm not a liquid billionaire. I, I have equity in these two companies. Um, and I moved the square equity, a billion dollars worth at that, at, at that day, to an LLC. And that LLC then gives um, it to a DAF over time. A DAF is a donor-advised fund. So the cool thing is that um, the original billion I, get, I gave in the LLC is now worth $1.5 billion. Already? That's incredible. We did move $200 million into the DAF, and, and they sold it on the market, and we now have $200 million of cash to, to work with. And um, we've, we've, now, um, we've now granted over $86 million. Um, of the of the two hundred so far, We're, we've been able to move fairly fast. But a lot of a lot of it has been due to the incredible work that uh, existing foundations already have. I don't want to build a foundation. I don't want to create a bunch of overhead. I want all the money to go to the people in need. So we, it's only two people. It's myself and um, my uh, my assistant slash chief of staff, uh, staff uh, Vanessa. We want to keep it fairly light. Um, and really directed on these three problems of COVID response, girls' health and education, and then uh, universal basic income experimentation. Well, I have to say that's the leanest thing anyone's ever heard of in philanthropy. Uh, you know, <laughs> two, people, two people, <laughs> two people, a Google Doc, a <laughs> uh, billion dollars, um, and. We're going to use this occasion to, to make an announcement, uh, which is that I think Humanity Forward actually is making that Google Doc, the coolest Google Doc in the world. Yeah. Yeah, we're, 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 doing, uh, we're doing $5 million for Humanity Forward and, and your work. Um, and uh, and um, I, I just, I, I really appreciate um, who you are first and foremost, but also what you're doing. I, I think this idea is long overdue. And I think the only way that we can change policy is by experimenting and showing case studies of why this works. And a a number of other countries have proven small experiments as well, but we have to do it here. And um, I I just, your your voice uh, in bringing this to the public conversation and the global public conversation has been incredible. And I'm just so grateful because we need this and we, we need this as soon as possible. Well, thank you, Jack. I can't tell you how much I, I appreciate that. And I can tell you exactly where the $5 million is going to go. Um, we are going to give it to people. Uh, just sort of taking a page from your book, we're going to just turn around and distribute micro grants of generally $250 to thousands of people that you will make possible. Um, so I can't tell you how grateful I am personally and how grateful everyone who's going to be benefiting from this gift uh, will be because I see the uh, requests we get and they are legion and heartbreaking. There's just so much need around the country right now. And 
we, we've been in a situation where we've raised and distributed uh, 1.5 million or so, a little bit more. Uh, but this 5 million is a godsend and is going to change thousands of lives. Um, so I, I can't tell you how much this is going to mean to so many people. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Um, I I want to give up. I want to give out all my money in my lifetime. I want to see the impact um, selfishly in my lifetime, and I want to make sure that we're we're helping people. That's a good um, kind of selfish, Jack. I want to, I want to see, I want to see that, that impact. And, and that's just like, I mean, when, when you build something like a Twitter or square, the, the, the greatest value is actually seeing someone else use it. That's what drives us. It feels electric. I mean, the first time that we saw tweets from Iran, it felt in electric. It felt amazing. The first time we, we saw like one of my favorite coffee stores in San Francisco using square and choosing it themselves. That would be fun. Just walk in. Do you sure they didn't choose it because they recognize you? (laughs) I'm positive. I'm positive. And then, and then even better is when my mom went into her favorite coffee store. That is better. St. Louis. And she saw it and she texted me. And, um, so like that, that electricity that I feel in those moments is the same that I'm feeling right now when I give. And when I know that these orgs that we're giving to, are focused on giving real impact and and doing things that are bigger than all of us uh, and especially me so um, I just want to learn as quickly as possible on how to do it the right way, knowing that I'll make mistakes um, and knowing that I'll have a ton of advice coming at me because this spreadsheet is open and um, and and that's that's great. And I know exactly where your money is going to go, where we're concerned that like every dollar is going to go into the hands yeah. of a struggling American family. And it's it, it just awesome. like, like you're giving us the ability to, to have that kind of impact on people's lives. Really. I cannot tell you um, how grateful I like, just like as a human being, I like, I, I just, it's beyond words really uh, because without someone like you making this kind of move, then we're just faced with the need. Um, and like, and, you know, and then looking at the need and like you, you have to have confidence that 
um, you're going to get resources, uh, but you don't know. And then yeah. because of you, now we're going to have these resources. I just hope that other people follow your example and want that same feeling that you just described, Jack. I think um, they will. I, I, I hope so. I've had that feeling too. Um, and it, it's awesome. Like people called me the Asian Oprah for a little while on the trail and I wasn't <laughs> even doing it that, <laughs> that, that much. Uh, but thanks to you, we're going to be able to do uh, a lot more. And I think there's a real appetite for universal basic income right now because of the magnitude of the changes that we're facing. hundred uh, percent. And, and also because of, of your voice. I mean, you, you did put this on the national stage and, you know, it's been an idea that's, that's talked about in this country since Martin Luther King and maybe, maybe before that, but um, you, you really reminded us all of the importance of it. And what I appreciated about you so much is that you, you, you were talking about the problems of, the future that we're not we're not addressing enough right now. Like we only have so much time to address these things, and um, if if the small steps we're taking today compound into experiments that change and inform inform and change policy, success. I mean that that's awesome, and and the more we can do in this space, the better. Yeah, it's one of the frustrations I have is that. We've committed 2.8 trillion or so, at least Congress has, uh, towards relief in various forms. And right now there are other bills uh, being proposed. Uh, and let's call it $3 trillion. That'd be like 10,000 a person. Um, I can't help mm -hmm. but think that most Americans, if you gave them a choice between 10,000 a person <laughs> and, and yeah. a whole host of other things, like yeah. we would probably choose uh, direct relief because we're like, well, I know I'll get it and I know that my neighbor will get it. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, like it, it's just a tragedy to see this money going to the, the banks and larger companies um, when it could be going into the hands of individuals in this country. And they like giving people money and trusting them to do the right thing will have positive impact. It will. And and I think that the case against UBI in the in the past has been you can't just give everyone money because they'll just waste it. No, that's not the case. Like it will have positive impact and they will do the right things. It'll incentivize the right things, but we need to, we need to trust our people and we need to trust the people of, of this country and of the world. Just such a pleasure, Jack. Uh, you know, I, I feel honored to be having this conversation with you in this time uh, of need for so many. Um, and your role model to, to more than, you know, I mean, really like, uh, just knowing that you are you and doing what you're doing like makes me and other people feel like amazing things are possible. We can eradicate poverty. We can turn this crisis uh, into something that actually accelerates positive change as well as negative. Um, we can build a better way of life and, and you're going to be an enormous leader in that. We can. And it's been an honor to talk to our future president. <laughs> well thank you for saying so man um it's yeah the, the future it's a matter of time well thank you i i appreciate it and i appreciate your support during the campaign too uh like that that meant a lot at the time um and uh yeah we'll be back at it you know uh like the, the yang gang will we'll be back my parents will be happy they'll be so happy I can't. I can't wait to meet uh, your mom. I saw her tweet that she's like, "Does that make me like the grandma of Twitter?" <laughs> if, if, if yes. Jack's the dad. Yeah, she has quite a, a rambunctious grandchild. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, she she chew up more than than she was bargaining for.